It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Whoa. Welcome in to the inaugural episode of On the Clock. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield. And my guest today is my partner in crime, Christopher Wecht. Chris, how's it going? It's good. You know, when when you when you when Brett Fall Whitefield asks you to hop on a podcast <laughs> with you to talk about draft stuff, you 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 make it work and you show up and you come hang out and talk draft with him. I think we could give the the listeners a peek behind the curtain. So what had actually happened was I was supposed to do this one by myself, but I have never done a podcast by myself. And so after three or four miserable takes. I just said, you know what? I think for episode one, I need to bring on a special guest. So none other than Chris himself is joining me, um, which is exciting because, you know, we kind of uh, we're pretty much in each other's orbit all day long, every day. So why not just do it? We have these talks all the time. So why not just do it on a podcast? Exactly. Right. All right. So I'll leave some groundwork for how this podcast is going to work moving forward. But it's a draft podcast. It's a daily draft podcast, which means you're going to get me five days a week all the way until the draft. I'm going to have a lot of really cool guests on, um, guys in the industry, you know, guys that do draft stuff for a living. It's going to be pretty excellent. We're going to talk prospects. Um, it's like today, for example, we're going to be breaking down three prospects specifically. We're going to talk about team-specific scenarios. We're going to be talking about mock drafts. I know Daniel Jeremiah just dropped mock draft 2.0, so we will get into that a little bit today too. Um, but it's going to be shorter form. If you guys are are fans of Take Talk, my other podcast, um, and you're coming over from that, this will be a little bit shorter winded than that. We're looking to be about 20 to 30 minutes a day of just draft rich content. Um, with that said, let me uh, give you an insight into how I view the draft. So for about the last eight years, I've been scoring between 150 to 250 prospects a year using a numeric scoring system that I developed. Um, the scoring system is a weighted score that takes into account everything from like production to traits. So I've, I've kind of outlined all of these traits I look for in each position. I score players based on how well they display those traits, how often they display those traits. Um, I have an intangible score, an athletic score, and all of that kind of it's a weighted score that goes into a zero to 100 scale. And I produce these these draft grades for guys and it's cross positional. So when you stack up a draft board, you can literally stack up, you know, my top rated player all the way to my last rated player. Um, and it, it's worked pretty well over the years. And I've been kind of fine tuning it each year and make a few adjustments based on things I missed or things I did well. And uh, yeah, we've, we've had good results so far, but this is the first year we'll be out in the public and forward facing. And this this podcast is pretty much the starting point for that. Yeah, for I'm sure as many of you are also football fans, the draft is one of the biggest events of the year in the football, especially in the off season, but even, you know, through the season, I've always loved the draft. I've come to love it much more since I've gotten to know Brett over the years and hearing talk about his process and whatnot. And that's, that's the thing you'll take away from this podcast more than anything is just hearing somebody that's been refining their process over many years and hearing how they talk about prospects It'll give you, you know, when you're watching, you know, whatever college football game next year on a Saturday, you might you might hear Brett drop some terms and whatnot that you now will start to recognize and just give you a better feel of how to think about guys coming out in the draft when your favorite team or your fantasy teams, whatever it is. 
Um, it's just, yeah, hearing somebody that's been refining their process for years and has success on hitting on guys, um, just will teach you more than you'll learn from anything else when it comes to prop NFL draft prospects. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. And in conjunction with this podcast, I'm going to be doing the draft guide at uh fantasy points this year, which is going to be over 150 profiles. We're going every position. One thing I do that a lot of guys in the industry don't is I watch all the film. I don't do three game samples. I don't do five game samples. I don't do seven game samples. I do all samples. And um, some three play scouting, right? And some three play scouting. Um, so, you know, I I don't say that to toot my own horn, but what I what I'm trying to say is I'm very diligent in what I do, and I really like to track a player's progress throughout their college career. Um, it's, it's it's really important to me to see that growth and that development. Um, yeah, so let's uh, should we get started? Sure. Actually, Chris, before we get started, a word from our sponsor underdog fantasy football as you know if you're listening to this because you're into the draft you're probably aware that best ball leagues have started up on underdog 2023 drafts are now live you can get into a draft for and and win a prize pool of up to a million dollars it's actually insane and they're already doing it right now so i guarantee you if you are in here grinding prospects with me you would have a great time on underdog doing best ball drafts uh, if you deposit $100 today, that deposit will get matched if you use the code FANTASYPOINTS. And that's F-A-N-T-A-S-Y-P-T-S. Fantasy Points is the industry leader in best ball tournaments, and there's not a better way to get into the game than right now with the first-time deposit of $100, which will get matched if you use our code Fantasy Points. All right. Feels good to pay the bills, Chris. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, all right, so Jameer Gibbs, this is a guy I've been loving talking about. I think I, I did Hanson's show last week live, his uh, SiriusXM show. I've done a couple other pods talking Jamar, Jamar Gibbs, so I figure why not start with this pod talking about Jamar Gibbs. This dude is – here's the issue I'm having with the running back class in general, Chris. Is it's very cluttered, yes. That's an understatement. And so what I'm looking for – you know, my scoring system is my scoring system. That's not going to change. But what ends up happening is you get like, uh, there's like 13 guys with similar scores. And it's really hard to separate. And, and one thing I appreciate about Gibbs's game is he does have that X factor that separates him from the rest. Now, we all know Bijan Robinson's kind of in his own tier of prospect. That's fine. But who's that next guy? And I've identified Gibbs as that next guy, in my opinion. And the X factor he brings to the game is, is his weapon in the pass game. Yeah, he's um, definitely I, got a uh, great passing numbers. Um, he he had like fourteen percent target share in twenty twenty two, which was like seventh most in the, all of college football last year. Um, for running backs, specifically for running backs, yes, yeah. yes, for running backs. It's so, yeah, very it's, high for a college running back. Yes, very very good. My question with Gibbs, and I'm curious as somebody, I'm so I'm more of a numbers guy. I'm looking at not what numbers they put up production wise in their, t- in their college careers, particularly their final years. Um, Gibbs was not the workhorse, at least on the ground game that both Najee Harris and Brian Robinson were when they were at Alabama. So what on the film is standing out to you that doesn't have you worried that maybe Alabama didn't think he was this workhorse back. It's well, it's a size thing, really. 
I mean, he's 200 pounds, you know, that's his listed playing weight. So there's a chance he's a little under that. Um, I hope Gibbs doesn't make the Cardinal mistake of trying to bulk before the combine to show teams he's a little thicker. I'd rather him just go there and put up freaky numbers all over the place because that's really what he is. So, yeah, it's just a size thing. And that concern remains true in the NFL. I mean, you I mean, shoot, how many bell cow 200 pound running backs are there? None. None. (laughs) Right. So it's 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 a matter of like. How big of a role can he get at that size? Uh, so I know, you know, you fantasy listeners, fantasy driven listeners, rather, like you guys are, you love those bell cow running backs, especially if you're going to be investing high picks, whether it's season long or dynasty. Um, yeah, just right off the top, Gibbs probably won't ever be that. There might be games, of course, where he gets a, a high volume workload, but really you're going to be going for that efficiency. I think ideally he's. Um, you know, he, he gets like a workload similar to Austin Eckler. That's the name or, I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Or to- Tony Pollard, you know, they're, they're probably similar in size, similar in skill set actually too. I, there's a lot of overlap with Pollard and Gibbs's game, but yeah, I mean, Belkow probably not on the table for him, but that doesn't mean he can't be a very productive fantasy player. And he's definitely going to make a team better uh, with what he can do in the past game. Yeah, that's why I was curious what you if you thought he can make elevate a team. Not we know running backs are extremely dependent on their offenses in general, but there is a few McCaffrey, Eckler, even that can elevate their teams in certain way. And does he fall into that bucket? Right. And when you get into like a skill summary for Gibbs too, you start to start to look at the things he does really well. One of those things is his burst and acceleration. It's, I mean, it's freaky. It's not quite. Sean Tucker level, which is a guy we'll get to another pod, but it's, it's insane. And when he's in the open field, he does such a good job of altering his tempo to set defenders up, to hit, hit the switch. So a lot of times you'll see him slow, slow his feet way down to cause that defender to slow down with Gibbs, knowing in the back of his mind that when I get on the horse, this defender's got no chance now to, to match my foot speed. So what he does though, is he reduces tackling angles like really, really well. And he doesn't take a lot of clean hits. So even though he's 200 pounds, like this is a guy who he's going to have, I think, good longevity and avoid injury because he's not taking a lot of brutal hits. Um, you know, speed in general typically does that, but Gibbs kind of understands angles and and how to erode those angles really, really well with his with his speed. And on top of that, he's very elusive. So this is a guy who has moves to avoid getting hit as well. So it's not just a matter of being faster than the other guy. It's a matter of like, hey, at the drop of a hat, he can string together multiple moves and uh, and, and avoid you know, really, really thick contact. Um, ideally though, Chris, like maybe don't put him on a, in a situation where he's having to carry the ball in the a gaps, you know, 15 times a game, like that might be bad for him because those guys are a lot bigger than him. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but man, if he gets into the right system, a little bit more spread offense, like he'd be great on the chiefs. I know they're probably not going to do that again with a, with the high, investment into a running back i know everyone in the fantasy world wants them to do that but they probably won't but he'd be he'd be phenomenal there um especially any team that's going to get him out on the edge and get him in space and and you know spread defenses out so there's not so much chaos in the middle like he's really going to thrive in those situations yep as per usual landing spot for running back is going to matter for gives like it does for pretty much every running back yes um yeah, I mean, other other than that, the only real concern I have with Gibbs is in pass protection. He's pretty under guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, s- sometimes small guys work. Like I remember Theo Riddick played for the Lions for many years. Yeah. Like he was a smaller guy, but he had requisite foot speed, and he was really good at at 
you know, redirecting on incoming defenders from the quarterback. Um, just using that foot speed to kind of he's not not absorbing a ton of contact, but just kind of pushing them around the edge. Where Gibbs kind of has more of like a, a he's he's really eager to get out into his route. So on he has a lot of check and releases in the Alabama offense, and he wants to release faster than he than he should be. So a lot of times he's late processing. You know whether it's a delayed blitz or a stunt coming through the middle, he's late processing that information, which winds up you know, it leads to him lunging a lot. Instead of you know, moving his feet and using that quickness to, to match the footwork of a defender, he ends up like lunging at them. And the problem with lunging is once you're beat, you, there's no chance for recovery. You know, there's because you, you've literally lunged, you've taken yourself out of the play by lunging. So he's going to have to clean. Like, I know you fantasy guys too are really interested in how does this guy translate day one? Well, for season long, that's a concern for me because I don't know that he'll get on the field right away. Yeah. And the pass um, game is where he, as you kind of started talking about him is where he's most effective. So if he exactly. can't pass block, that's that might be an issue. Exactly. Now he has a ton of time to clean it up, right? He's got right. he's gonna have rookie mini camps, he's gonna have um, you know, off season all the off season programs, training camp, preseason footballs back. So like he'll have plenty of chances to clean it up. Um, but it is worth noting that that is a, a concern of mine. The size and the pass protection stuff is really my only main concerns with him though. I mean he's he's a pretty clean profile other than that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of debate about the next guy we're going to talk about, and that's Jalen Hyatt. Um, a lot of, it receiver seems like from Tennessee. Yeah. Re- wide that? receiver from Tennessee. This is a, a speed demon type prospect. We've seen a lot of these guys come into the league lately. And I would say typically there's a lot of discourse about him, but because of a, some recent misses, people are a little more skittish, I would say, but man, the, the discourse on Hyatt is wild. Like, <laughs> There are there are legitimate, I would say, experts in the field saying, like, how is this guy being touted as a first-round pick? He's barely a third-round pick, or he's a day-three guy, or whatever. Like, crazy stuff. And then we've seen the complete other end of the spectrum, like Lance Zerline basically saying, hey, if you don't have him in the first round, you're basically an idiot. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's what this guy brings to the table. So I err on the side of Lance when, the, when it comes to Hyatt. Um, anytime you can add a player to your offense that change fundamentally changes the way defenses have to play you, that's a win. I don't care how productive the guy is at the NFL level. Like if, if defenses are altering what they do and you're getting them away from the things that are good at just to address one player, that's production. And that, that's really what I'm looking for. I know that's not the sexiest answer for, for fantasy players, but it's the truth. And that's what Jalen Hyatt brings to the table. So he's, I have a firm first round grade on him and he's, he's going to finish as my probably wide receiver three or four in this class. Yeah. He, um, he led the sec in receiving yards per game, which as you, most of you know, the sec is probably the best college or conference in college football. Um, that's no small feat. His, he doesn't have no, he, he had 31.8% of his team's receiving yard share, which is a, it's like 17th since 2019. Not as high as as like Devontae Smith last year at Alabama, Elijah Moore with Old Miss, um, even uh, his fellow teammate Cedric Tillman actually put up a slightly higher number in 2021, but still like very good numbers. And and as a deep threat, as some people are calling him a one trick pony type guy, like doing doing putting up numbers only doing one thing really well is is still a very valuable thing and. I mean, Deshaun Jackson's made a career out of being fast, and he still he still plays. He was still on an NFL roster this year, 
some team, multiple teams are going to value his raw traits alone and then hope that he can develop into a functional piece of their offense as he grows in the NFL. I'm for sure. Well, the word you just use is key and that's traits. And when you start to look at traits and, and build a perfect receiver, I mean, Hyatt has a lot of the traits you look for in a, in a legitimate, you know, Z receiver downfield weapon. Like he checks pretty much all those boxes include like, he's not just fast. Like he's explosive. He, he has good leaping ability. You see that on tape. Um, he plays the ball in the air really, really well. Like, I, I don't know if it was, Daniel Jeremiah, but I heard somebody say he plays above the rim, which is so true. It's a great way of describing it. Like he looks like a bas- a wing basketball player going up for some from highlight dunks when he's playing the ball in the air. He has the ability to contort his body in the air too. And he's not the biggest guy in the world, so he's not going to play through contact well. But man, he's not just a, a guy where you need a quarterback to lead him downfield. You know, if you have a quarterback who's comfortable throwing to a spot, you know, and against cover two or something, fitting in that tight hole shot or these back shoulder throws, Hyatt's going to be really good on those plays as well. Um, not to mention the fact that he is so freaking fast, Chris. Like this guy ran a, a, a 10 4 6 100 meter dash in high school, which is ridiculous. But he's so fast that when if you can get the ball in his hands, anything can happen. Um, he's not super elusive. He's not going to juke guys out and make guys miss, but he's like. Jalen Waddle level speed, Tyreek Hill level speed, where there's not an angle that is safe. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Like, there, it doesn't matter how your safety's aligned. There's just not an angle that's safe when you're when you're trying to track Jalen Hyatt with the ball in his hands. Um, yeah, I mean, my comp for him is Will Fuller. When I say that, what goes through your mind? Uh, I mean, Will Will Fuller has has fooled me into many seasons, uh, but the injuries just really, you know, just eventually yeah. ruined Will Fuller's career. But he, uh, yeah, when, when on the field, Will Fuller was a problem for opposing defenses. Even when the ball is not thrown his way, he's a problem yes. for defenses. Um, there, the, the, the speed just can't be undersold. I mean, hyped up enough. It's, it's so important in today's NFL and he's going to, oh. yeah, he's going to give defenses nightmares. One one like big difference between Fuller and, and Hyatt too is Hyatt actually has good hands, yeah, like reliable hands. Terrible drop issues. Yeah, so it's like Hyatt is Will Fuller reincarnated with with uh, prosthetic hands or something. I don't know, but um, <laughs> he can catch the ball, which is great. So what uh what are the downsides to Hyatt's potentially not you know falling into yeah. that John Ross trap? So two two main I would say. Downsides. I hate the John Ross comp too. Um, not to not to like aggressively combat you, but I've seen <laughs> a lot of people saying John Ross. The issue I had with John Ross is that speed, that elite speed, didn't always show up on tape. It, I mean, it really didn't. And mm-hmm. it, it, there were moments, sure, but when he ran the forty, he ran, and everyone freaked out. I I was surprised. I was like, okay, he does not look like a four two whatever guy on tape. Maybe four three eight. Sure. Hyatt looks like the speed matches the hype every single play he's on the field. There's never a play where you watch him. You're like, yeah, I don't see the speed there. No, like it's every single play. So that's why I really hate the, the Ross comp. But there's two two main, I would say, downsides with Hyatt. The, the, the main thing is the Tennessee offense set him up for absolute pinnacle of success with his skill set. They, they run the super high tempo max spread offense where they're lining up receivers you sometimes they're doing bunches outside of the numbers and in college the numbers are really tight to the sideline so just imagine 
uh, a bunch formation, like on the sideline of the football field where you're, you're hiding high behind an X receiver and behind another bigger slot player. And you're basically allowing him to get a free release and with all that space to work with across the middle of the field or down the sideline. How, however, you know, the route combinations work out. Um, that's the biggest downside to me because no one, you can't do that in the NFL. No one's doing that in the NFL. There's really no way to hide a player at that level. You can still hide guys and get them free releases, but like to the degree of which Tennessee was doing it, it's just not the same. Um, so my question is, and part of my process is I, I constantly ask myself questions. So um, just because we don't see it on tape doesn't mean he can't do it, right? It doesn't mean he doesn't have a good release game. doesn't mean he can't beat guys off the line of scrimmage. We just didn't really see him do that. So you have to ask yourself, what happens if guys get hands on him at the line of scrimmage? What happens if he doesn't have as much space to work with across the middle of the field? Um, I still think there's a ton you can do with Hyatt, but that becomes a concern. That's a legitimate concern, too. I'm not going to discredit anybody saying that that's what they're concerned about. Um, but I, I do think the skill set that raw speed does, it is the trump card. And I, I would I would still bet on those traits over that negative. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I know we've talked a little bit on take talk about the Tennessee offense, but. No, I, I think you pretty much covered it. I did full disclosure. I wanted to put, I didn't necessarily think he's the John Ross comp, but I wanted to make sure you pointed out how the speed showed up on tape versus, because that's, everyone uh, has said that he's the John Ross. Like what if he's John Ross again? And. Yeah, and, we, and yes, it's very important to point out that Ross did not look nearly as fast as he ran at that forty when he was in pads playing on the field. Yeah, um, like I said, there there were moments, but like it wasn't like shoot, go put on Tennessee versus Alabama this year and watch what Jalen Hyatt did to the best oh defense God, in yes. the country. Like unbelievable stuff. Yeah, he uh, he he. Whatever speed he ends up, what, what do you think he runs at the forty? I, I would say anywhere in the four twos. If he's having a if he's having an off day, I think he'll be high four twos, four two eight, four two nine. If he's really feeling it, and that that track is fast in Indy too, we do know that. Right. Maybe he gets down in the four two fives, four two four, somewhere somewhere in that extra freaky zone. Yeah. So when he runs whatever four two whatever on uh, in the combine in about a week, uh, go go watch that Alabama game right after, and it'll, it'll you'll see that that speed is there, whether he's in pads or not. Yeah. Absolutely. The only other real downside with Hyatt is he is small, um, six foot, 175 pounds ish. Um, it's concerning to an extent, but we have seen a recent track record of guys coming to the league that are undersized. Um, one of them being your guy, Devonta Smith. Yeah. I was going to um, say that's not, that's small, but it's not too, too at well small. It's not, correct. uh, yeah, there, he can, he can play at that, that size and be effective. All right, let's do let's do one more, and then we are gonna get out of here. Actually, no, we're gonna do one more, and then I did want to point out a couple things in DJ's mock that I think is is crazy. So, uh, but we're gonna go tight end Luke Musgrave from Oregon State. Chris, do you know why I wanted to do Luke Musgrave? Uh, I believe I asked you which which of these <laughs> tight ends of this class has the best chance at being a generational talent, and you immediately, not even hesitated, said Luke Musgrave. Yes. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I think Kincaid is a phenomenal player. I think Michael Maher is a phenomenal phenomenal player. But when you're talking about physical traits and raw traits, holy crap, Musgrave has everything you want in a dominating tight end. I mean, he's massive, 6'5", almost 6'6", 265 pounds. He's easily the most athletic tight end in this class, probably the most athletic tight end since Kyle Pitts. 
this guy's a freak of nature and when you put on the tape and then there's not a lot of it and that's the that's the big disconnect most people have when grading musgrave is you do have to project him quite a bit so kincaid and maher did score higher for me in my my scoring system but the tape you still see the glimpses of it and it's phenomenal his ability to beat one-on-one coverage whether it's a safety or a linebacker he's just destroying them it, it doesn't matter he's athletic enough to do it you're going to end up having to make weird decisions with putting your best cover corner on him if musgrave develops into a, a more refined route runner um he's big and strong so if you do decide to check him with say a bigger safety or a linebacker well he's probably bigger and stronger than him too as well as faster than him so there's really not a one-on-one matchup that I'm too scared of with Musgrave transitioning to the NFL. Now, we know most teams play zone these days, so that's fine. Musgrave annihilates the zone. His his catch radius is massive. He's good at setting down his routes in, in, in holes in zone. Um, I, I don't have an issue there. I, the fact that he can beat man coverage as easily as he has shown he can just makes him just super attractive to me. And he doesn't really have a super developed route tree yet either. This is him running a lot of crossing routes, you know, some, some t- different types of go balls and things of that, that nature. But man, once an NFL coach really gets his hands on him, this guy's going to be even better than he is right now. And then the run game, I've seen a lot of people slandering Luke Musgrave saying he can't, he can't block. And I would like to know what tape they're watching. Like I, I don't, I There's don't understand. Is he, <laughs> right, is he the most technically refined blocker in the world? No, but he blocks with an attitude. He's a finisher. He wants to get guys on the ground. And he has the frame to be excellent at it. Um, and I, I think I said this in my senior bowl write-up, Chris. Like, I don't typically comp college players to future Hall of Famers. And I'm not even saying I'm comping him, but when I watch Musgrave, I can't help but feel like I'm watching a young Rob Gronkowski. It's it's actually kind of disgusting. Yeah, I, I remember seeing him at the senior bowl. And, you know, you, you see all the tight ends out there, and they all are bigger guys in general. And then Musgrave's out there and just makes – makes some of the other guys like will now right now looks tiny compared to yeah. Luke Musgrave. like he's giant and he moves so fast and so fluidly um, yes it's freaky like it doesn't look difficult for him i like i distinctly remember seeing the stanford wide receiver elijah higgins who was like a bigger wide receiver like looked like he was like struggling to get in and out of breaks not it just wasn't fluid and then musgrave who is a tight end and bigger and i don't probably not faster but definitely fast just like everything looks so easy for him. Like he doesn't look like he has yeah. to work to get his body in the positions he needs to get it in to make plays. He's 35 pounds bigger too. Not just yeah. bigger, 35 yes. pounds bigger than Higgins. Yeah. And he, he looked that much more fluid and he, I think he is faster. If you follow the GPS tracking data from zebra technologies, Musgrave was, he would have been the fourth fastest receiver there in mobile. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, freaky, he's running near 21 miles an hour in the open yeah. field, which is, that translates to roughly a 4-4-40. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, if, if 265 pounds runs 4-4 at the combine, the internet will break. <laughs> he's going to, yeah, he's going to um, break all the speed scores out there. He's going to re- reset yeah. what the speed scores say. So the problem, like projecting him to, uh, from like a fantasy standpoint, though, is like, Draft cap. We know draft capital is everything, right? So if two tight ends get drafted above him, how skittish are people going to get with Musgrave? Or there could even be three because I, I, Washington's a phenomenal player out of Georgia. So, um, I mean, that, I, I guess that's concerning, but not really for me. I mean, most tight ends don't get drafted in the first round, so it's not yeah, it's, it's not a big deal for me at all. But I would say draft capital is not a 
not as important to tight ends as it is to some of the other positions in terms of how quickly they can get on the field and stuff. There's, there's always a huge learning curve with tight ends in general. Yeah. In my, uh, in my mock 1.0, Chris, I put Musgrave on the saints to pair with Jawan Johnson and they had the field stretcher in Olave. I felt like that was a really unique pairing and I, I was really excited about it. What did you think about that? That's yeah, that's interesting. Cause it kind of gives them like two big slot guys that they could use. Not that the Musgrave has to play in the slot or any, or even Jawan Johnson. They both could line up as tight ends, but they it gives them the ability to do so. And I mean, there there isn't a team in the NFL that has enough defensive backs or coverage linebackers to match up with both of them, and then also have Alave taking the top off your defense over and over exactly. again. So that would be a really interesting combo. Yeah, um, to me. Like we talked about with Hyatt, when you when you fundamentally are changing the way teams play you, that's a win. Putting Musgrave and Johnson on the field together, I don't think there's a team in the NFL that has the personnel to match up with that. You're going to force them to play a lot of zone, and you're going to you're going to be able to exploit that. I mean, it's it's a, a very attractive pairing to me. So is the only real worry with him just that there isn't a lot of tape to go off of? And, yeah. But the but the tape looks good when you're watching it. What yeah what you. Is there? you find those high end traits, like not just, it's not that he's just doing, you know, showing these traits it's that he's showing them at a very high level. Um, and, and in the small tape you have, the frequency is pretty high as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, because of the lack of tape, like the product, like you are projecting a lot. And that is obviously a concern. Like you have to be really convicted in your take on a guy to, to feel comfortable with that, which I am. So, um, but I, I understand he won't be for everybody because of the lack of production and lack of, you know, consistent tape over, over four years. I mean, he really only played parts of two seasons um, over a four-year career at Oregon State. So that, that is a concern. Other than that, though, I mean, it's, it's really not much to not much to be worried about there. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, before we go, we have like two minutes before we got to go. I, I want to wrap up with Daniel Jeremiah's mock. One thing of note. Jalen Carter, he has going first overall to the Bears. Yeah, that's uh, that would be. I think that's the first time I've seen him mocked first overall, at least yes. in the the start of official mock draft season, like post Super Bowl. Right, and I I won't talk about a lot of mocks on this podcast because I think most mocks are fan theory or um, like my mock was what I would do if I was a GM. So there's a lot of mocks like that happening. Um, DJ's though, I specifically referenced because he is pretty plugged in with the NFL. And so he, he does things based on what he's hearing, which is nice. Another big note here is he had Tyree Wilson edge defender from Texas tech going ahead of Will Anderson jr. The edge defender from Alabama. First time I've officially seen that I've heard people conjecturing that it would happen, but no one's actually put pen to paper and said that that's going to happen yet. So that is interesting. Another big note is he has Lucas Van Ness. In the top 10 to the Falcons, edge defender from Iowa. This edge class is really, really good. I mean, Van Ness is shooting up boards right now. It's kind of crazy, the rise he's on. Bijan Robinson to the Bucks at 19 without yep. an official quarterback is is a way to go. <laughs> yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um, that would be – you uh, Rashad White stands would be very, very upset, <laughs> myself included, but um, that would be wild. Two other notes really quick. The Lions taking Anthony Richardson at 18. 
I mean, as a Lions fan, that's a massive win. Richardson is my number two quarterback in this draft. I would be over the moon. Chris, we just talked this morning about what the Lions draft strategy should be. You're you're a hundred percent in on. It doesn't matter what you think of golf. You take a quarterback this year. Yeah, um, I tend to agree with that. I do think they'll try to extend golf at a reasonable rate if they can't. Though this is a great great fallback. Yeah. Holy yeah. crap! We both said if they. I mean, if they did that pick at six, I'd be totally fine with that. So yeah, they're not going to yeah. have draft capital like this forever, especially with the way their team's getting better. Yep. Um, the last major note is he has the Seattle Seahawks taking Jackson Jackson Smith Najigba, wide receiver from Ohio State. I ne- I haven't considered that as a possibility <laughs> when I was mocking. I don't even think it crossed my mind once. But man, could you imagine Metcalf lock and like JSN's kind of a locket replacement eventually? Right, that's what I but was thinking. Yeah. But you'll get them on the field together for at least a year. Yeah, with Gino, who you're probably going to resign and pay some money to. Very attractive situation there. I love loading up at pass catchers. That's that's yeah. what I would do if that, I was any team. They got to find out what they have in Gino. They got to yep. figure out if it was a fluke or and how much of a fluke. And so if that means adding another premier pass catcher, I'm all for it. Yep. All right. That is it. That does it for us. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back tomorrow. I do have a guest lined up. He's a very good friend of mine and a very prevalent draft writer. Um, We will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.